Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So the, the name of what I'd like to minister to you today is called Scars Don't Tan. Scars Don't Tan. Um, I normally am not like that guy. As most of you know, Like I'm not like a message title guy. Um, I, I just Sometimes I just think that's kooky. Um, but I guess I get to be kooky today because this is... This is kind of something that the Lord's dealt with me. Um, it was probably a year or two ago. We were um, towards the uh, towards the end of summer, and um, I I don't know how transparent I want to be. Kay and I try to go away together once a year. We didn't get an opportunity this year because of the COVID. <laughs> And when we go away, our our main focus is to go somewhere where cell phone service is really spotty, and it has a beach, and none of you are there. <laughs> Not because we have a problem with anybody in this room. I'll go on vacation with anybody in the room. But when I'm with Kay, you don't want to see me on vacation with you and Kay at the same time, because it's going to get awkward. <laughs> So we usually go to obviously like sunny beachy places, um, and so I make it a a personal uh, directive over myself that I will spend the summer on purpose getting tan, so that when we go to the sunny whatever like Florida or whatever, I don't get burnt and then don't get to enjoy the time. So I get tan for a purpose, not because I care what you think about my tanness, not because I care what Kay thinks about my tanness. I don't care. Thinks about my tanness. I do it so I don't get. That's it. And I hate suntan lotion because you somehow get it in your mouth, and then your mouth tastes like garbage for like three days. So I don't like sun. No, it's sunblock. Sorry, I always say it. It's it's. Uh, I hate sunblock, and so I just get tan, and then I can go lay on the beach all I want. And I think a couple summers ago, as I was working on my tan, um, I noticed. More often, because it was probably the most purposeful I'd been about tanning um, in decades. Uh, if you're a preacher, usually that's not something that's on your agenda. Like study the word, minister to people, get a tan, <laughs> play golf. None of which. Anyway, uh, note at the, towards the course of the end of that um, that summer that I had a ton. Of scars. I guess I just never noticed it before that I had a really rough childhood. (laughs) Or a really fun one, depending on how you define scars. (laughs) But I had a ton of scars. On my back, my shoulders, my neck, my arms, my hands, and my legs. And the reason I noticed them was because I was tan. 
And I was staring at a scar, um, specifically, I got a huge one right here uh, from when I was trying to do a trick on a bicycle. And my, I broke the pedal um, doing the trick, and the sprocket dug into um, my, uh, my calf area and literally filleted my skin. And so I pushed it back down and wrapped tape around it like any other good kid would do and went on. So obviously I now have a very, really big scar because I didn't probably take care of it the way I was supposed to. And it was really, really white. And I remember looking at him like, why well, want a scar tan? And then I heard the father say, scars don't tan. And it was just one of those moments that you're just like, oh God, you're deep. <laughs> anyway, scars don't tan. What does that even mean? Like, and I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And I, I never really did get any really solid conclusion to him saying that. But that was two years ago. And so I would, con- I would continually meditate on that. You guys remember the process of transformation, right? You- <laughs> Whenever I ask a question, you always tell who doesn't want to answer, doesn't know the answer, doesn't even really remember the fact that there ever was an answer because they're always like, look at the screen. <laughs> Do not make eye contact. The process for transformation is you have to have information and then through meditation that information turns into revelation and then revelation automatically or organically produces transformation. You will never transform without revelation. You will never have revelation without meditation. And you cannot meditate without information. So if you want to transform... Not change. Change is one thing. You can change. Like, go to Kohl's and buy a new wardrobe and pretend like you're someone else. Modify behaviors. Because that's what the world teaches you. If you don't want to do bad stuff, then just change your behaviors. All, it's, this is, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Which, I'm not gonna say bad stuff about it because some people have been blessed by it, but it doesn't work. Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Anonymous, Anonymous. That place makes dry drunks. It makes dry drunks. It just convinces you or puts all these things in your life or or guilts you or shames you or condemns you or convinces you, whatever, to just not drink. And, and, and some people don't. And God bless them. Good for them because not drinking is better than drinking. But a dry drunk is not someone who's living in peace and joy and victory and power. Jesus didn't come to make humanity dry drunks. He came to kill the drunk. That's transformation. Transformation is kill the drunk. Change, behavior modification, is dry drunk. When I finally started to get the revelation of what the Father was saying, it started to bring some transformation in my own life. And so I want to take you into that with me, and hopefully you can have some of the benefits of what I have. Just so you know, I I do not minister things that I don't have. You've heard me say this, you cannot give what you don't have. 
nearly everything I say, every word I declare, everything I preach to you comes out of the overflow of things that God has for me. I don't build sermons. I don't make messages. I just minister to you from the overflow of the things that the Father has said to me and done to me or highlighted to me or transformations that have taken place in my life. That way I can do it confidently. Because this isn't like some untested, unproven virus killer vaccine that'll kill you. This is something that I've seen work out in my life and other people's lives and it's scripturally sound. Scars don't tan. Go to Mark chapter 7, please. Mark chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 2. And when they saw some of his... This is uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, uh, the eternal agitators, the, the, uh, the villains of all the stories were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was the religious people. It's what everybody in the room doesn't want to be. And most of us are. (laughs) Amen, Pastor. (laughs) And when they, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the antagonistic people towards the gospel and towards the new covenant and towards the Christ, the Son of the living God, when they saw some of Jesus' disciples eat bread with defiled... That is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. They must have been in a pandemic too. Have you noticed that our world finds a lot of fault in you not doing it the way that they want you to do it in the pandemic? If you wear a mask, you're a jerk. If you don't wear a mask, you're a jerk. If you go out in public, you're a jerk. If you stay home, you're a jerk. If you go to church, you're a jerk. If you don't go to church, you're a jerk. This is what legalism does. Legalism is, you're not doing it the way I want you to do it. So therefore, you're condemned. That's why God doesn't deal with legalism. God deals with a relationship. For, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands often, eat not. They were probably skinnier than Americans. <laughs> holding, holding the tradition of the elders. Let me say this real quick. There is nothing ungodly or anti-Christ about you washing your hands, being healthy, being clean. I would super encourage you, at least when you're around me, to take a shower Especially if you're around my wife, she in the past has had a bionic nose. She may or may not have texted me before when I was in a different county and asked me if I farted. And I was not downwind. I mean, it's, she's that good. So it is good, godly, Christ-like for us to be clean, to have an excellent standard for yourself, not just when you're in public, but to really honestly have an excellent standard for yourself. You represent God at 
everywhere you go and every everything. If you're super soft at the house, then you're fake if you're excellent when you're in public. And honestly, I don't know this personally. So I'm just going to drop this bomb and move on. So if you think I'm talking about you, the only way I'm talking about you is because the Holy Spirit says, I'm saying that, not Steve. Honestly, I don't know this. But I can tell, the Father can tell who is going to honor the gifts that He gives them based upon how you treat the current gifts you have. If you treat the gathering together of the saints as something that, you know, if you got time and you're not tired and it's not season change and you don't have to take the kids somewhere and, and you wake up on time and you get enough coffee and the car gets you there and, yeah, I guess I'll go to church. Your car, while I'm speaking about it. If your car looks like a rolling dumpster, Not looking, I'm not listening. Blah, 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 blah. If your car looks like a rolling dumpster and you're believing God for a nicer car, you're a liar. <coughs> if you're not honoring what you have, it would be like me coming home every day and beating my wife. And then pray every single night that God makes my wife better. I know that everybody in the room is like, you're an idiot. Like, nobody would look at some of the stuff in your life. Look how you treat your home. Look how you treat people that are in your life. Look how you treat the assembly. Look how you treat um, the authority figures that God has placed in your life. And I'm not talking about just, like, ministers. and I'm talking about authority figures. However you treat things is a designator to how you believe the Father can give you greater things. So don't, don't pluck your offering in the offering basket at Beloved Church and be expecting an increase in your wealth when you are doing things with your finances that are dishonoring God and dishonoring the kingdom. I'm not saying quick check what you're doing with your money. So that you can get that right, so that you can pull the slot handle of God and make the money come out. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, whatever you honor, whatever you value, whatever you're thankful for to God, it is a clear, clear avenue for Him to dispense grace and for you to have more in that area. What you dishonor, God cannot give increase to. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash often, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. Notice they held the tradition of the elders, not the tradition of God. Verse 4, and when they came from the market, except they wash, they eat not. You know why? Because they touch regular people at the market. How, how you treat regular people is how you really are. 
And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things, and many other things, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Why don't your people, Pastor Jesus, (laughs) why don't they act like all the other religious Jewish people that we've been raising up for generations? Now, I want this to drill in. Why is the culture at Beloved different? Why are people who are truly allowing the Holy Spirit to affect and change and um, transform their lives? Why is it so different than the world? Think about how much a person sticks out who actually, truly, actually, truly lives the kingdom. I'm not talking like Facebook kingdom. Because the fake stuff where you put up all the cool scriptures and you talk about all the Christianity. And we all know that you're a jerk behind closed doors. Or sometimes with open doors. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about really, really living it. When someone calls you and they say they're sick. And your question is, can I come over? Are they close enough to drive to them and pray with them? If not, can you get them on a screen so you can look them in the eyes and pray for them? When you find out that people are hurting, do you literally do everything in your power to make sure that their hurt is either limited or destroyed? When people are struggling, do you just shake your head and thank God that you're not struggling like they are? (laughs) Or do you go bear, do you go carry the burden with them so their struggle just became half as heavy? I I know (laughs) this is the kind of stuff like, should we just go back into worship so we can jump around and clap and would that be better? Or is this okay? Are we okay? Because I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to have pictures of it on the wall. I don't want, I don't want to see Jesus on our wall who's protecting the woman caught in the act of adultery and not be the Jesus on this. And not be the Jesus in society protecting the broken woman. I don't want to wear a cross around my neck and not have my heart affected by the cross. I don't want to say I serve Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals thee. And never, ever, for fear, or for self-centeredness, never, ever lay hands on a sick person. You know, it pleases the Father 
that you at least try. At least try. And I'll tell you this, it pleases the person that's receiving. Knowing that you are willing to cross whatever invisible barrier that we are not allowed to cross in 2020 and physically, in a humanized way, touch another person. It is such a devastating thing that we're doing in this society, which is dehumanizing and removing contact from one another, which is anti-Christ, because this is where the kingdom lives, in this hand. And for me to get the kingdom to you, I've got to get this hand on your precious cheek. And that is not to be done in 2020. This is an attack on the gospel. And I I pray that people would one day get this. This has zero to do with the virus. And everything to do with decimating a world in darkness, in fear, in misery, and eventually into slavery. And we've got to be the people that are not okay with that. Why are we different? We're different because he was different. He didn't follow the traditions. He didn't follow the elders' opinion. He followed his father. Verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well, has Isaiah... I love it when Jesus uses the Bible. (laughs) Jesus is the word. You know who wrote Isaiah? Jesus. Through Isaiah. But I like it. He quotes Isaiah so he's not like I said unto you in Isaiah's day. Because they've all been like, what the? Well, has Isaiah said of you, prophesied of you hypocrites. One day I'm going to be as bold as Jesus. And I know all of you are thinking, "Uh uh-uh, you are bold. I'm telling you, I ain't like this. I ain't this bold. You know why? Because people are brittle. You can't walk up to somebody who's lying and say you're lying. What? How dare you? You're not supposed to condemn me. Who's condemning? You're lying. What? Bible says judge not. Congratulations, Mr. Somebody who can quote one half of a verse that came out of one entire chapter that Jesus talked about when he was preaching on us judging. (laughs) Matthew 7, for those of you that are offended by what I just said, go read Matthew 7. It was a whole chapter, Jesus telling us how to judge. He didn't say judge not like don't do it. You guys know that God is judge. He told us not to judge unrighteously. Judge not. Let you be judged the way you're judged. If you go judge people in carnality, you go judge people in condemnation, that's what you'll get. So he wasn't saying not to judge people. He was saying, don't judge them the way that you do it, the way humanity does it, and the way your broken history has shown that people love to do. Because usually people want to judge people just to break them up. Cause them damage. Make them feel like that they're less than the person doing the judging. Jesus doesn't. Jesus judges right. You know what Jesus will do? When you're messed up and you need to be judged, he'll come to you and say, why are you messed up? You're a son of God. 
That is conviction. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is to tear you down and to destroy you and to leave you worse off. Conviction is to raise you up. When the Holy Spirit is talking to you on the inside about addressing things that are in your life and you rebuke him because he's Satan and you're not supposed to be condemned, I just encourage you to really maybe filter through all that before you rebuke the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Because he wants things in your life to be incredible. And the way he's going to do that is for you to agree with them. He already did his part. Jesus did everything he possibly could ever do to heal you. If you're not healed, it ain't him. Jesus did everything he possibly could do to make you wealthy. If you're not wealthy, it ain't him. Amen. We'll talk about that another day, because that's not going over very well. Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites? I could hear him say it too. Like, I've gone to the Bible a bunch of times, and I've actually gone there. Like, I translated 2,000 years ago, and I stood in the crowd and watched Jesus do stuff. And I can see him looking at these Pharisees, the ones that are willing to stone the woman caught in the act of adultery. The ones that are so self-righteous, but yet they are jacked up. You know who the woman caught in the act of adultery was likely in the act of adultery with? You know who they didn't bring and throw at Jesus' feet? The fella. You think the good old boy system just started in America. The good old boy system been around a long time. It's called religion. I can see Jesus standing there with one of these self-righteous, pious, big piled up hats and perfect robes saying, why don't your guys wash their hands like all of us very righteous people? I can see Jesus saying, you hypocrites. (sighs) Maybe not quite like that. Close. Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart, bam. What's God care about? Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Um, Paul... Obviously, the the church at Corinth was interesting. Interesting? Interesting. The church at Corinth was very interesting. Paul had to deal with them on quite a lot of levels. And so, 2 Corinthians is the last letter. He actually wrote three letters to the church at Corinth. Um, We have a copy of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, which is actually letter number 2 and letter number 3. So there was a letter that preceded both of those that he wrote to the Corinth. So the reason I'm saying that is because Paul was very engaged with trying to make the church at Corinth really live out the things of God. He personally planted the church in Corinth, and so he had a lot of influence and right to fuss at them about the stuff that was jacked up. And in this, it's that, you know, 
uh, at the very, very end. This is the last chapter of the last book to the letter to the Corinthians. And he tells them, examine yourselves. Whether you're in the faith. And in the King James it says, um, how, whether you know whether Jesus Christ is in you or not. Or whether you be reprobates. I know you just say the word reprobate in church and like people are ready to walk out. I didn't write it. For real. If I'd have wrote it, I'd have wrote the Bible way different. <laughs> I'd have put my name in there better. I'd, my name in there is a martyr. I would have made me live longer. <laughs> Except you be reprobates. In the ESV, it says, unless you fail the test. Unless you fail the test. Is God testing you? I know everybody's like, oh God, I don't know what to say. Because <laughs> you probably think in your mentality, you think yes. But then some of you are smart enough to know in the book of James, it says no. God will never test you. He's not tempting, testing, trying you in any way. But then you look at your life and really in your mentality, you're thinking like God is testing me. The reason there's a discrepancy between the two is because you are being tested. Just not by Him. Life is testing you. Life is testing you. And for some folks, when it's put to the test, I used, those of you that know, I used to do mechanic stuff and, you know, so, you know, one of the, one of the ways you like tend to test like tension strength is to see like at what strength a bolt will break. You know, when you're putting on a, when you're putting on a transmission uh, pan cover and you don't, and you're just getting at it with an air gun, you're about to make a mess. Because <laughs> you're going to snap those little bolts off in a hurry and then trying to get them back out of the transmission. That's a day you don't want to have. you got to be careful about how much pressure you put on things because things break. Satan's not careful. Amen. This world is not careful. It's doing everything it can to put you to the test to break you. It's on purpose, y'all. Life is putting you through a test to break you. That's the point. I'm way off track on this, and so I'm just going to drop it and come back. I'm actually off track on this. In Revelation, you remember Jesus Himself, Jesus Himself, the head of the church, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Himself wrote letters to seven churches. I strongly encourage you to go read those letters to those churches because you will probably be introduced to a type of Jesus that doesn't fit the narrative that you have of him coming into your life with the monkey butt powder and the, and the cutesy little patchy on the tushy and make you feel better about yourself because you're just such a kind little sweet thing. Because Jesus writes to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. He says, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. One thing he says to all seven churches, and this is really relative. So what would he say if he wrote a letter to Beloved Church? If he said it to all seven churches of Macedonia in the book of Revelation. 
There's only one thing that he said to all seven churches. To five of them, he said, repent. You, you know how to make a congregation smaller? I could reduce the size of this congregation by next Sunday by preaching, really, really preaching hard on repentance. In fact, saying the word makes some people like, nah, I've heard that enough. I'm not going to, so just chill out. You'll be all right. You can come next Sunday. So five out of the seven, he said, repent. Five out of seven churches started by probably the Apostle Paul. Seen likely by the Apostle Overseen by the Apostle John. And only 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I want that to sink in on purpose. Because there's a ton of people out there saying, well, there ain't no good churches. They're all bad churches. And all the people in the churches are all hypocrites. Blah, blah, blah. Guess what they were doing in that day? Right. Same exact thing. Yep. Same exact thing. People were leaving churches by the thousand back then. This ain't some new phenomenon. There were seeker-sensitive churches back then. I get it. There was good churches back then. I get it. There was bad churches back then. I get it. But here's something that we need to understand. You need to be real quick before you go and judge the kind of ministry that the Lord is calling you into because it's likely that the problem with you receiving from that ministry is you and not them. (sighs) Amen. Okay, let me say it this way. Did everybody that heard Jesus preach stick around and say, this is the greatest church ever? So was Jesus a bad preacher? Perfect. How about Peter? Was he a good preacher? Did everybody follow him? Well, I'll just follow you everywhere you go, Peter. (laughs) No. Because Peter went to jail. (laughs) I'll go anywhere with you. No, I'm not there. I'm not going there. Paul, if anybody's ever preached a perfect sermon and not being Jesus, it was Paul. Like two-thirds of the New Testament is Paul. If anybody's ever preached a perfect sermon, it was Paul. Paul walked into a town and said, I'm here under the unction, the authority of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe. And I'm here to tell you something. <laughs> we are so glad you showed up. Yeah, we uh, we really appreciate the fact that you came. How big's your rock? Hey, thanks for coming, buddy. Ugh. He took up offerings and got stones. <laughs> don't think for a second that just because people do or don't like the message, or people do or do not flock to the message, that that means it's good or bad. Also, don't judge the message through the messenger. Seven out of seven churches that were only 20 years old, that were founded by the apostles who were with Jesus. Seven out of seven of the churches, Jesus said, to him that overcomes. To him that overcomes. That's a contingent statement. 
I know this is not popular in the church today at all. For there to actually be requirements on you to live it. He that overcomes. To he that overcomes. To he that comes over the obstacles or the tests that are on purpose placed in your life. Not to him that goes into the test, because some of us want to, you know, in today's society, you get a trophy for participation. Right? We don't even keep score anymore. Why? We don't want the kids to know that they lost. You know what will inspire a kid? Lose. Not only lose, lose bad, get covered in mud, get bloody, get shamed, and then walk into school on Monday after you lost terribly and let everybody make fun of you. I know we're not allowed to do that in America anymore, but that'll put hair in your chest. And we need some hair in our chest. Right, ladies? But what's happening in society is also happening in the church a little bit. Like we've become very, very porcelain. There's people that have quit the church because I've asked them about their children. (coughs) Asked them about their marriage. How's your marriage? Well, ain't none of your business. And never come back. Whose business is it? I know I'm not the pastor. Look, I get this. I understand. Not for not everybody. I'm actually your pastor. I might be a pastor, but I'm not your pastor. And so there's things that I'm not allowed to talk about. I get that. But if I'm not allowed, who is? And I'm, I'm asking, like, if, if Steve's not allowed, then who is? Please find that person. Please go to that person. And if you won't let God's representatives talk to you, do you let God talk to you? And the answer is probably no. Because if you can't hear it from people that God sends to you, you totally can't hear it from God. Because the reason He's sending people to you to tell you is because you ain't listening to Him. Let's go back to Mark chapter 7. He answered and said unto them, Well, as Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips. I'm not preaching on this, but this is a radical statement. In Jesus' day, people said stuff that they didn't mean. <laughs> About, uh, Larry might be able to, where's Larry? Is he here? Oh, there you are. Hey, buddy. Uh, Larry might be able to help me, but about seven years ago, I preached a message at Beloved Church in the funeral home to the 12 people that were actually still part of Beloved Church back then. God bless you. Um, I preached a message on love, and I challenged everybody. I said, don't you dare this week say I love you to anybody. Because love's an action. And I said, at the end of this week, if the people in your life feel that you love them less, then you're a hypocrite. Maybe I need to re-preach that. Because we think that this is the thing. Like, why well, love you? Well, there I said it. I paid my dues. Kay and I very seldom, very, very seldom say we love you, I love you, or she loves me. 
Because words are cheap, y'all. Cheap. You think that you did something on Valentine's Day because you bought a $5 Hallmark? Keep it. Because they don't believe it as much as you don't. While I'm on the subject, whoever is pulling this out of me, God bless you. Um, The Lord knows what your real heart is. When If you do something plastic for him thinking that you're accomplishing something that he wants you to do, like he knows your heart. You know that, right? Like he's not fooled like other folk. You can fool me. I'm super naive. I'm being really honest. I am very naive. If you if you tell me you're going to do something, I'm that crazy, ignorant cuss that'll believe you. I'm for real. I'm that guy. Say, so, hey, I'll be, hey, pastor, I'll see you at the church at ten o'clock on Monday. I'll be here, and you'll never show up. It happens all the time in the church, more so. You can lie to people in the church. Like with a smile, and it's totally okay because nobody's allowed to judge you or condemn you or make you feel bad because you lied to them. You can lie to people all day long in the church because we're allowed to. But you can't do it to the Lord like He knows. And I'm not telling people, don't say I love you. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, it would be a ton better to live it and do it than say it. Let me give you an example. How many times did Jesus say, I love you, in the Gospels to one of his disciples, to his mother? Zero. Zero times did Jesus ever say, I love you to anyone. Ever. Why? Because there's a cross that screams, I love you. It screams it. Now I get it, people don't hear. Because there's a ton of people, I've, I've preached on the love of God before, I've, I've preached really, really powerful messages on the love of God, and I've had people come up to the altar afterwards and say, an encounter with the love of God like you, will you please pray for me to understand the love of God, or, or have a really powerful encounter like you've had with the love of God, and, I, and it's like I didn't even preach. Because it's, if, if you don't get it from this, if an angel from heaven or anybody else gives you any other gospel, let them be accursed. If you knowing what Jesus did for you, if that doesn't do it, if that doesn't give you the goosebumps that you're looking for, then there is nothing. If God coming a man, being born of a virgin, <laughs> taking on flesh, walking out of heaven... Leaving glory, leaving his father's side, and become despised and rejected, beaten, 
and killed for you. If that doesn't do it, beloved, come on now. No cool hairband 80s rock song and Jesus tones is really going to do it. You getting an angel or, or a vision or a dream, that ain't going to do it. It might help. But if that don't do it, there ain't nothing that's going to do it. Paul screams, I love you, so Jesus didn't have to. His healing touch screams, I love you, so he didn't have to. His rescuing of the woman in the act of adultery screamed, I love you, to her. He didn't have to say it. Again, I'm not saying don't say it. Say it if the Father tells you. But live it. If you're going to say it, live it. And if you don't know what it looks like, because most of America don't, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It looks like that. Ten, for Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother. (laughs) I could spend two hours on that. Especially in today's world. I'm going to write letters to all the high schools and say, can I do a general assembly at your high school? I'm going to preach one verse. And for all the people that are laughing, I hope that you honor your father and mother the way the Bible said. And you probably don't. Um, This was the first commandment with a promise, which means it transcends the covenants. Because we get the promises in the new covenant. One of the promises that was associated with this command was that you would live long and healthy lives. There are a ton of people, especially young people, that are super, super sick because they do not honor their father and their mother. And here's the unique thing. It doesn't say honor your father and mother who are really, really godly and deserve it. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoso curses father and mother, let him die the death. (laughs) That'll reduce the congregation. (laughs) But you say... So they changed it. Because that was pretty tough. Like, we're not going to kill someone if they curse their father and their mother. That's a little bit, come on, God. Like, that's kind of rough. That's way extreme to hold people accountable for what you said. How about we change it? All right, let's have a powwow. What do you want to change it to? Well, instead of killing people, uh, what do you think's good? Should we give somebody some money? Yeah, money usually makes people feel better. All right, let's make a new rule. We're not going to do that whole thing that God said. Die the death if you curse mother or father. We'll just give them money. Because money fixes everything, right? So let it be written, so let it be done. So they came up with a tradition that changed the word of God. Verse 11, But you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. That's exactly what they came up with. They came up with Corbin, which is, we'll just give you money. That'll make it everything good, won't it? And here's the worst part. Some of the parents said, eh, that's fine. I'd rather have money than the honor. 
I hope some of y'all are going to get a copy of this or watch it on YouTube later or get the podcast and go through this and really let the Holy Spirit work through this. This is a very simple thing. It's a very simple thing. Honor your father and your mother. Verse 12, and you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. Because you came up with this Corbin thing. Making, check this out, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things that you do. Now follow this. You make the word of God of no effect by your traditions and many such like things. Such like things. I would call them experiences. Traditions and experiences. Your traditions and your experiences make the Word of God of no effect. Now, I know you might be thinking like, well, I mean, that's not super, super terrible. I can kind of maybe get on track with the Word of God, you know, later. I'll work through all this traditions and some of these experiences. You know, it's not that bad. I might be making the Word of God of no effect, but I mean, I still got grace. I still got forgiveness. I still got the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, it's not that big a deal. So, let's change Word of God. And I know you might be like, oh God, don't change the Bible. You'll go to hell. I'm just going to change it based upon the Bible. I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to use the Bible to define the Bible. So John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, which by the way, those of you that are actually reading your Bible and you want to start at the beginning, John 1 1 is the beginning. It's not Genesis 1 1. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. So which came first? God or God creating? That'll tell you which came first, John 1-1 or Genesis 1-1. So if you want to start at the beginning of the Bible, start in John 1-1. In, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, Jesus, and the Word was God, Jesus. And then in verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus was walking in the dusty streets of Samaria and Judea and Nazareth, when he was playing kickball with his pals after school, the Word of God was playing kickball. The Word of God was rescuing a woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, this is radical. The Word of God was, caught, was protecting the woman caught in the act of adultery from being stoned according to the Word of God. <laughs> That'll mess with you. Why? Because God wants us to have mercy over judgment. The Word of God, making the Word of God of no effect by your traditions and the other jacked up stuff that you do. Your experiences and your tradition make the Word of God of no effect. Your experiences and your tradition make Jesus Christ of no effect. That should, that should shake you. I know it shakes me. 
again, these are revelations that this isn't, I'm not preaching this to you. I'm preaching this from me. I had to come to grips with this. When I reject the Word of God, when I accept an experience or a tradition in my life, when Steve Castle says, well, maybe the reason that people don't get healed is because healing passed away. If I allow the tradition of my experiences to redefine the Word of God, then I've made Jesus of no effect. Whatever excuses or experiences or jacked up traditions you allow to remain in your life is one more place that Jesus cannot dwell. This is so important. So important. The Word of God and Jesus being in your life is going to accomplish everything or you will have nothing. You don't get to add a little Jesus. He's not the cherry on top of your awesome cool cake that you baked. Jesus either means everything or he means nothing. You don't get to compartmentalize this. He's either Lord of all or he means nothing at all. So if he says, by my stripes you are healed. It's okay for you to say, I'm not manifesting that. But you are not allowed to say, well, according to my experience, everybody's not healed. Hey, Jesus, you're a liar. Right. Scars don't tan. Your experiences don't tan. Your traditions don't tan. It says in Malachi chapter 4, That the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings. The Son, S-U-N. So many times I've heard people miss that. Like they think, no, the S-O-N shall arise. No, the S-U-N. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of heaven. There's no sun or moon in heaven, y'all. And here's the radical thing. There's no shadows either. His light is so real, it's so permeating. It's literally physical. It goes everywhere. It illuminates everything. It goes through everything. His light is so light that there's no way to describe His light. There's no shadow. There's no shadow, no variableness of turning in the Father of lights. James chapter 1. He is light. Completely, totally, perfectly permeating every single thing. And when the sun of righteousness arises, he brings healing in his wings. And he brings tans. (laughs) I'm, I'm being funny a little bit on this, but Jews have darker skin than you and I. I'm being funny a little bit. They've been around the sun longer. Their generations were around the sun longer. S-U-N. How does, how do we, why do we have black people on earth? Brown people on earth? Olive people? Because their culture spent more time in the sun. Does anybody, am I, are you guys okay? Uh, you guys know science, right? 
the more time a culture, the more generations a person spends in the sun, the deeper, the darker their skin becomes. The more tan they become. Scars don't tan. Scars don't tan. The more time you spend in the sun, the tanner you get. The less time you spend, the less time something spends in the sun, the whiter it gets. Man, I hope you get this. Those scars, those traditions, those religious principles, and those experiences that you've had, especially the hurtful experiences that you've had, they're not going to tan. By the way, I'm getting to heaven. Your scars ain't going there. There's only one thing man-made in heaven. One thing. And those are the scars on Jesus. Yours don't get to go. You have to leave them here. Your carcass, your scarred carcass, and your scarred soul stays here until it gets renewed, reborn, and refreshed in the image of God. The only thing in heaven man-made are the scars on Jesus to stand as a testament forever that your scars are not allowed. What are some of the things that scars have? Well, firstly, they're man-made. Every scar on your body is man-made. Maybe not you, man, Like me, most of my scars are Steve-made. But every scar on your body is man-made. It came from some earthly person doing or not doing something. Many times you doing or not doing something. They are all man-made. Two, some of them are super malicious. There are people in this room, you have scars on your body because someone did something to you. I have two older brothers. I can prove it by scars. (laughs) And I love them. But some of them are done maliciously. People on purpose are trying to hurt you. Why? Because if they can get you covered in scars, they can stop you from being tan. Amen. Some of them are accidental. I get that. Maybe you... Maybe you had a bad childhood. Maybe your parents did not know how to parent. You know, the first time that Kay and I ever raised kids was the last time. You would think God would come up with a better system, like you get some trial kids, and then then you get the real ones, like because now you figured it out. Amen. Like, don't shake them right after K breastfeeds them because then they do stuff to you. <laughs> Didn't figure that out until I had to, like, I learned a lot. And then you learn stuff and then you're like, oh, man, I'm never going to go through that again. So then that's why you go to other people and say, hey, you want me to tell you what happens when you shake a baby after it breastfeeds? <laughs> no, I really don't. It's because you're a dumb parent. You haven't figured it out yet. They are malicious or not. Some of the scars you're carrying around, people didn't even intend to give you. And you're still treating it like it's your own little baby. Right. And you're going to keep it forever and ever. And you're going to take it up to Jesus. And you're going to offer it on the altar when you get there. 
The sad thing is, bless your darling heart, is it ain't going up there. It'd be better off to just let her lay here. A scar is an actual change of tissue. Who knew that? Okay, thank you. Some people knew that. Maybe you should pastor the church. When God God says something to them like, Hey, Grace, did you know that scars don't tan? Yeah, I knew that, God. (laughs) Tell me something else I don't know. I know, duh, duh, God. I didn't know, okay? Didn't go to medical school, did a little bit. Uh, scars are actual change of tissue. The tissue actually changes to deal with the scar. Man, I hope you're getting this. You actually will change your, your identity. You will literally change who you are just to protect that scar. There are people in this room that things have happened to you 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago and you're still protecting it. You're still protecting that hurt, that pain, that scar. Because you've actually changed your identity to surround that scar so it reproduces scar tissue, scar tissue, scar tissue, scar tissue. And it'll never tan. It will never let the Son of Righteousness ever change it. Because your tradition, your experiences, and many such things that you do prevent you from having the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, have effect in your life. And last, that scar takes on the physical form of the incident that caused it. If you look at this, I think it's... You can, I'm sure you can't see it, but right here is that scar I was telling you about. It literally looks like a little sprocket where the sprocket went into my flesh. You can see the little tooth marks in my calf. That scar has taken on the form of what caused the injury. You know how many people I meet? Thousands of people that I meet that have a problem from their past. And they are, they are literally becoming it. Gals who are struggling in their marriages, and then I meet like their parents, and I'm like, oh, well, the reason that you're that way to your husband is because your mother is that way to your father. And they tell themselves, I'll never be like that. I am, I will never be like my mother. Oh my God. You are just like your mother. No, I'm not. Okay. Because your mother would never scream at anybody like that. I will never be like that guy that hurt me. I will never be like those girls that did that to me when I was in high school. You mean as a snake. Those scars take the form of what causes them. And then you protect it. And that scar will never tan. It will never tan. So what do you need to do? Transform. Transform. Scars don't heal. 
The reason it's still there, the reason you still got that scar from what happened to you when you were seven, is because it doesn't heal. It just reproduces scar tissue. How do you get rid of it? New skin. But you still have to come and offer that to the great physician. You have to come up to him and say, I am covered in scars. I am scarred from head to toe. Outside, inside, I am broken in every way. And then you you come to Jesus humbly. And you say, I'm broken. I'm scarred. Top to bottom. I'm completely covered. You know what Jesus does? He takes off his robe. And he shows you the scars that he took for you. And the scars that He took for you. And the scars that He took for you. And He strips Himself naked in front of you and He gets down and He washes your feet. And He says, these are my burdens. These are my scars. They don't even belong to you. Stop carrying what doesn't belong to you. He can't take them from you. You have to give them. You have to trust Him enough that He'll take that scar and not leave a bigger scar in its wake. You have to allow Him to be Savior. To be Healer. Otherwise, He'll just stand there and wait. With His arms outstretched. Saying, come to me, all ye that are labor, heavy laden, scarred, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. There should not be a single place in our life, in our body or in our soul, that we are not letting the sun of righteousness rise and tan us and turn our skin that beautiful Jewish olive that we were intended to be as children of God. Because here's the other thing. How are you going to shine on other people's lives if you're just covered in scars? How are you going to shine? It needs to be about bringing healing and redemption to other people. And you are the instrument for that. But while you're covered in scars and you walk up to someone, all they're going to notice is the scars. It's what people do, y'all. It's what people do. Healed people heal people. Free people make people free. Loved people love people. I'll lead you, I'm going to leave you with one verse.
Mark 6, Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. Verse 5 says, And he could there do no mighty work, except he laid his hands on a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He could there do no mighty works. Doesn't say he would there do. He could there do. Jesus could not. I know that is grading down the chalkboards of your religious like fingernails for me to say Jesus couldn't do something. So I'll just say this. The Bible says Jesus couldn't. And I know we're thinking like those people in Nazareth. They were terrible people. Not like me. I would let Jesus do anything I want in my life. Would you now? <laughs> Jesus can do anything He wants in your life. Jesus could there do. Jesus could there in Steve's heart not deal with that one thing. Because I kept that scar to myself. Don't limit Jesus in your life by protecting your scars, your traditions, your opinions. And many such like things that you do. I'm going to pray over you. You can receive this if you want to receive it. You can reject it if you want to reject it. You're free to do what you want. But Jesus is offering right now to come through the torn veil of his own flesh and through his own scars. He's going to present himself to you. In my prayer. And he will flow grace into whatever that place is in your life. And he will take the scar out and replace it with olive, tan, beautiful skin. If you'll let him. Father, I pray for the beloved. For the ones who are greatly loved. I pray. That there is nothing. Nothing. In them. Through tradition. Through, through, through religion. Through experiences. That is stopping them from receiving. The glorious effect. Of the full manifestation. Of the finished work of your cross. I curse every scar. And I shine on it the Son of Righteousness who rises with healing in His wings. And I call that scar gone and beautiful virgin skin in its place. Every soul completely whole. Every heart healed. Every body made whole. I declare this over this beloved family now in the name, the nature, the character, the essence, the authority of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God.
Amen. Amen. All right, please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of this precious, life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved, you who are greatly loved by the Father, I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you. I'll see you again soon. Thank you.